Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Gru, producing the show today and always. Got some got some bad news for you. Now, here's, here's some bad news. Um, you know, on, on my Twitter account, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. Now, what I do a lot of times is I, I put out tweets of things that we're going to talk about on the program and links to those stories and all. Well, the ones that really get a lot of likes are just kind of like the personal stuff. So last week when we got to see when we, we posed for a photographer that they brought in a couple weeks ago, I, I put in the photograph of, of you so there's something out there so people can see what you look like. All those type of things it did really well. Lots and lots of likes. Well, the bad news is you you've now gotten past. You were doing very very well in tweets, but you you got past when yesterday I put up a picture of my dog. <laughs> you know, it's so a matter of time. It, 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 exactly right. You know the the Sasha numbers just kind of blow. You know, but people love the animal stuff, and then they're 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 putting they're they're texting me with their own pictures of their little dogs and things like that. So you, you got bumped by Sasha, but it could have been worse. It could have been worse. You know, you could have been bumped by, I, I don't know, any by a bus company story or something like that. You got bumped by the dog. If you want to see all that, it's you can follow me at Jeff Wagner. Um, it's Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. All right, we have a number of things we're going to talk about today. And, and candidly, when I was putting the show together, I thought, boy, this is kind of an eclectic show. Big developments in the impeachment saga. I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but we will talk about it a little bit later in the program. There's a Marquette University Law School poll that's going to be dropping in about 10 minutes that will analyze apparently where Wisconsinites feel on impeachment and about Donald Trump. So we'll see what those numbers are and kind of analyze them and then try to overlay that with the whole concept of what's going on in Washington. Lots of other stuff in on the program, including Charles Barkley says she doesn't have a sense of humor. All right, we'll discuss that. But I want to start with this story that's a huge story in the local newspaper, and it dovetails on something that we've discussed in the past. As I was saying when we were uh, ta- when Steve and I were talking, I have the greatest respect for dairy farmers. It's a tough, tough business. I always remember. You know, 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago now, when I was running for attorney general, I remember I was out in the Eau Claire area and I hooked up with a Republican state senator named Dave Zine. And people who've been around here for the longest time will remember Dave. He rode everywhere on his Harley and stuff. Really kind of a a great guy and just an individualist. And I'm out in the Eau Claire area. And he, he was a state senator for Eau Claire. And he said to me, hey, why don't you come? I'll introduce you to some of my constituents. I, I'm I'm going to do office hours. And I said, um, like, this is, uh, you know, whatever, this is whatever day of the week it is. And I said, great, uh, you know, what time do you, what time do you start? And he says, well, I, I start them at five. And I said, oh, that's too bad, Dave, because I, I've got to be gone by like noon tomorrow, staying overnight. He said, no, 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 Jeff. I mean, five in the morning. And because his constituents, a lot of dairy farmers, and of course, these are dairy farmers that are getting up um, before the crack of dawn, and they're going and they're milking. And then his office hours were he would go to various 
like coffee shops and diners and things in, in his area because they, they'd be packed even at 4.30 and 5 and 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning. They'd be parked, you know, packed with dairy farmers who've gotten up at the crack of dawn. They've gotten up. They've done the first you know, round of feeding the cows or milking the cows or whatever. And then you know, they were you know, having coffee with their buddies. And I said, okay, sure. So I get up you know, at 0 dawn 30, and I'm following around. I went into all these different, again, diners and things. These places were all packed in that area with predominantly you know small dairy farmers and it was a fascinating conversation and I I really began to appreciate how hard dairy farmers have to work especially the small dairy farmers because first of all you are at the mercy of milk prices you you, you know you really you really are your profits going to be based on matters quite candidly which are really sort of out of your control in many respects that is you know what milk consumption is and things like that on top of it as i always say you you want to talk about a hard job the cows they don't know new year's eve they don't know christmas eve they don't know the fourth of july they don't know your birthday they don't know if you've got 102 temperature they don't know if you've just had a fight with your spouse and just kind of want to sleep in. All they know is they have to be milked, and, and you've got to milk them. Now, for years and years, what happened on dairy farms was that the labor came from the, the kids. Lots of farm families, and I'm generalizing here, but lots of farm families had lots of kids, and that was just the thing. You grew up on a dairy farm. You grew up doing the chores, and then what would happen a lot of times is mom and dad would get ready to you know step back and retire, and the kids would take over, and they'd have kids. That was sort of how it worked. That has changed over the years as more and more kids have decided that, you know, maybe there, there's more to life than, you know, staying on the dairy farm. As I said, the economics of of being a dairy farmer are absolutely brutal. And so, you know, less less kids have, have wanted to, again, do that sort of stuff. So dairy farmers have had to turn to outside help more and more. And this big story in the local newspaper talks about how, well, the headline is, Wisconsin's dairy industry would collapse without the work of Latino immigrants, many of them undocumented. And the story, you know, goes on to talk about how 10 years ago there was a Wisconsin survey that estimated that the hired immigrant workforce in dairy industry was about 40%. Now, that's, that doesn't break it down between legal immigrants and illegal immigrants. It just says it's about 40%. There's a national survey taken five years ago, estimated at about 51%. That is 51, one out of every two workers in the dairy industry is an immigrant. And it doesn't break it down on legal versus illegal. But the real interesting thing and the takeaway that I get from the story is the whole notion that they interview dairy farmer after dairy farmer after dairy farmer, and they all say they can't find native-born Americans who want to do the jobs. You know, and, and they say, like the story says, some farmers say they haven't encountered a U.S.-born applicant in years. Entry-level jobs pay twelve to thir- eleven to thirteen dollars an hour. You know, some include free, um, albeit modest, type of housing, but the hours are, are brutal. You have to work nights. You have to milk hundreds of cows every day. You have to work in the cold sometimes during the winter. You have to be out in the snow. Um, very few days off. I mean, it's a very, very demanding job. But even at eleven 
to $13 an hour or more. They can't find U.S. citizens who'll do it. Um, they quote in the story, it quotes one dairy farmer saying, in the past 10 to 15 years, guy says he's likely had about 150 applicants for job. He says only two of them were American-born, and neither one, neither one was willing to do what was necessary. One says, well, he, he didn't want to work on Fridays, he didn't want to work on weekends, just ended up not working out. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think this is one of the most interesting aspects that are out there. Why, and I, I put this out to you, why is it that they can't find native-born Americans, that they can't find people from the community. Why is it that people won't do this work? Is it because of the locations where the farms are? Is it because people think the work is beneath them? Is it because people think the work is too hard? And if that's the case, what does it say about people nowadays that they're not willing to work as hard or do work that is perceived as being as hard as perhaps previous generations did. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do you think it is that they can't find U.S.-born employees who are willing to work? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Paul and Jackson. Paul, good afternoon. Hi, uh, long time listener, first time calling. Oh, this motivated you to pick up the phone. Okay, what do you think? I yeah. mean, why is it that you can't we can't find US born people to do work in the dairy industry? Well, I'm a small dairy farmer. My family milks about 120 cows, which is manageable. It's a small farms can do that. Nobody told these big farms you have to get so big that you can't do the work yourself. Right. And uh, sticking people in a parlor to milk cows for eight hours a day or ten hours a day in the really cold and really hot, that's not a fun job. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard work. It. I mean, on a small farm, we're milking cows three hours a day, twice a day. That's not too bad. I can do that. But I was told, hey, you're milking, you're doing nothing but milking cows eight hours a day or ten hours a day. I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, how many? Okay, so Paul, let me, let me ask you this: Did you did did you grow up on your farm? Did you take it over from, like, for example, your parents? Yep, I grew up here. I'm still farming with my parents; they're still involved. Okay. Um, ultimately, I mean, do you? I mean, do you have children yourself right now? Uh, not yet. Okay, but I mean, so but that's the idea. You want to keep that? You want to continue in the family tradition? Yeah. Okay. How do you handle it? When you, you want to take vacations, or I, you know, or you know, whatever. I, gee, it's I, I want to go to Florida for a week or something in January. Do you get to do that? Um, not really. My mom has been going on vacation lately. You know, every year she'll take a week off, and you know, everyone just pitches in, does a little extra, right? And it works Right, but the idea is you, you got to scramble to cover, and if you said, hey, you know, I want to take two weeks and I want to go hang out in Florida or something like that in January, that's not happening for you, huh? No, but it helps. Uh, we let 4 H kids show our cows at county fair, right? And they love coming out help. Last week, when my mom was gone on her vacation, we uh, contacted the 4 H kids, and they came out and they helped us milk cows that night, and they absolutely loved it. Right, 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 right. So you, your your hope and expectation is to uh, continue this. This is going to be your lifetime job. You think? 
I sure hope so. Good enough. Well, I hope so too. No, thanks for calling. I, I I hope so too, and I take my hat off to you because it's it, it's it's tough. It's you know, running a small business is in general is is difficult. I have friends who run small restaurants and things like that. I mean, diners and things like that, and and it's tough to get away because inevitably you get away, and that's when the problem occurs, and you have to find you know employees that you trust to do this. But I do think there is this larger issue that's out there. Um, let's see, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's some text, Jeff. I remember having employees asking me to cut their hours. Because if I didn't, they would lose some of their benefits from the government. Um, another text, Jeff. Why? Pampered upbringing for young people. They would rather play video games than do tough manual labor. Um, you know, there there is kind of that element that's out there, I, I guess. Um, here, I mean, here's the bottom line. The... I think there is a generational thing that that is going on. I think that's kind of the reality. And you see that play out a a lot. You see that where you have the demand for for trade work in in general. You know, you talk to people that run heating and air conditioning companies or plumbers or, you know, all those different services, and they'll tell you that they can't find young people that want to come in and want to do the work because it's hard work. It's not necessarily glamorous work. It doesn't have the same cachet of, I, I, I don't know, sitting behind a desk and, you know, working on a computer or things like that. But it's important work, very, very important work. Then you take that issue and then you compound it. You say, okay, a lot of the dairy farms are in some more remote locations. You know, so you're talking about a rural environment. And you add into the fact that it's just darn hard work. You put that all together, and I I do think that's the interesting takeaway. You know, you've just got a a lot of Americans who don't want to do that work, whether they figure it's too hard or whether they figure it's beneath them or whatever. They choose not to do that work. So you have to, you know, turn to, you know, people who are coming into this country, which raises the other interesting question, which is, why is it that folks who are coming into this country are willing to do these various jobs that, that require you to be outside in the cold and require you to be, you know, working hard and require you to be avoiding vacations and things like that? And the, I mean, the obvious answer is because even at that, the quality of life they have in the United States and the money they make is, is better than they can do if they stay in the country that they have come from. But I, I do when we talk about immigration and we talk about like cracking down on immigration and all those type of things, it always does come back to me about all these different jobs that are out there that even paying a decent wage, you know, starting salary of 11 to $13 an hour for essentially unskilled work, you can't get Americans to do it. So whenever we have that conversation, and then you could say, well, if you paid them $20 an hour, they do it. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if you increase the base wage, you know, and you said, okay, we're now going to pay $20 an hour to go milk those cows and to make the commitment you have to have. Would you have a flood of people saying, okay, we're going to move to, you know, rural Wisconsin and do it? And I don't think the, I don't think the answer is yes. I, I just, I think that whether we've gotten soft collectively, whether, you know, we have so many different government programs that make it easier for people or more desirable for people to not do hard work, but I, I don't think it's a question of, you know, what the starting salary is. I just don't think there's some jobs that Americans want to do anymore, and that is a problem. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
All right. Impeachment hearings in Washington. Marquette University drops a new poll uh, about President Trump and also about the issue of impeachment. We'll talk about the developments in Washington in just a minute. want to share with you some of the numbers out of the new Marquette University Law School poll. And as we always say, you have to take polls with a grain of salt. For years, the Marquette University Law School poll was kind of considered to be the, the gold standard of polls. And then, you know, they had a couple high-profile examples of, of getting it wrong. Nonetheless, I, I think that you ignore these results at your, your own risk, and I think a lot of people pay attention to them. And I, I think as polls go, and we all know that there's challenges to polling, as polls go, I think, you know, the, the Marquette University Law School poll tends to be a reasonably reliable indicator of where people are at a given time. You know, and, and again, I, it's not like they get it right all the time. All right, so here's the deal. They polled registered voters, not likely voters, but registered voters. To And that, that makes it a little bit easier because... It's, are you registered to vote? Yes or no? Boom. Okay, then we're going to ask you questions. If you try to separate it into likely voters, you then have to ask more and more questions. Okay, well, how, how when, who did you vote for last? Did you vote for governor two years ago? Did you vote for president in 2016? Did you vote for president in 2012? You have to ask a bunch more questions to determine whether you're really a likely voter. So this is registered voters in their new poll. And I will tell you this, that the, the takeaway is... President Trump doing well, if you believe these poll results in Wisconsin. All right, new results. 40% of registered Wisconsin voters think that he should be impeached and removed. So both of those, impeached and then removed. 53% do not think so. So I, I think that's that's a... That's kind of a surprisingly a surprising number to me, but 40% say he should be removed, impeached and removed. 53% do not think so. In October, 44% favored impeachment and removal. 51% did not. So over the course of the last month, that doesn't include the hearings that are going on this week, what you saw is a drop of 4% as far as, you know, removal, impeachment and removal. Okay, um, then they ask questions like, okay, do you think that, you know, the president asked Ukrainian officials to investigate political rivals? Uh, November, 52% say yes. Uh, November, 41% believe Trump withheld military aid to pressure the president to investigate. But here's the interesting thing. 42% said Trump did something seriously wrong in the Ukraine. Nine percent said he did wrong, but not seriously. Thirty eight percent said he did nothing wrong. And and my big takeaway from these numbers is even among people who believe that the president behaved badly, that, that he did something that was wrong. There's still a lot of them that just don't think it is an impeachable offense, which is where I, I think a lot of the American public is. Even if you accept the premise that, yes, that this is how the president approached this and there was the quid pro quo or whatever, they don't believe that that's an impeachable offense. So that's kind of one of the takeaways. Now, again, this was this was taken before the developments of this week. Maybe that changes something. Maybe it doesn't. Okay, so then what they do is they go and they, they this is registered voters, not likely voters. 
and they go and they do a head-to-head matchup. They say, okay, if the election were held today, who would you vote for, President Trump or, and then they, they list the number of the opponents. All right, in the poll, Trump favored by 47%, Biden by 44% in um among all Wisconsin voters. In October, it was Biden 50, Trump 44. In August, Biden 51, Trump 42. Now Trump is beating Biden by three points. Now that's within the margin of error. But the movement, at least in this poll, is that Biden dropping below Trump. He had a six-point lead a month ago. A couple months ago, he had a nine-point lead. Now Trump leads, okay? In the November poll, Trump was favored over Bernie Sanders by 48 to 45 percent. In October, Sanders was ahead 48 to 46 percent. So it's within the margin of error, but you've had a a flip. Um, In August, Sanders 48, Trump 44. So Trump has got, if you believe the poll, Trump has become more popular. Bernie Sanders has become less popular. In November, okay, the recent, the current results, Trump and Warren, Trump favored 48% to Warren 43%. In October, Warren was ahead by a point. In August, they were tied. So um, again, people swinging over to Donald Trump over Elizabeth Warren. Um, In November, Trump, this is the current poll, Trump favored by 47%, Buttigieg by 39%. In October, it was Trump 45%, Buttigieg 43%. So the, the results of this showing a movement in Wisconsin, whether it's Republicans coming home, independents moving, There's no way you can interpret this other than saying extremely good numbers for Donald Trump and perhaps surprising numbers for Donald Trump. Now, again, this poll, it's registered voters. It's not likely voters. It's a year before the election, and it's before the results of this week and probably a lot of the results of last week as well. All right, when we come back with these poll numbers in mind, We're going to talk about impeachment fever and whether the events of the last two days, particularly the event of this morning, has caused you to catch it. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so those are the Marquette University Law School poll results thus far. A very, very, and I understand some people's heads are exploding, and a lot of times it's people on the right who go, oh, I can't trust polls. Well, okay. This is a very, very positive poll for President Trump. It shows that uh, the number of people, at least as of the time the poll was taken, who support impeachment and removal is dropping, that um, that movement is underwater. By that, I mean lots more people oppose it than support it. Uh, impeachment is a political exercise. That's just kind of the reality of this. And so if, if you don't have an overwhelming majority of the American people with you, I, I think it's it's ultimately doomed to, to fail. And at least in Wisconsin, overwhelming, at, at least, you know, a, a 
More than half of Wisconsinites don't support it. The other interesting development is over the course of the last month, what you've seen is, if you believe the numbers, President Trump is now leading all the potential Democrat challengers in Wisconsin. Now, a couple of those leads are, you know, within the margin of error, but this, this was a movement and you could write it off. Maybe this was just an abnormal, maybe they just got more Trump supporters than are really out there, but there's no way you can look at this without saying, Hey, that this is a positive thing for President Trump. Now, what is going on in Washington yesterday? I thought was kind of a nothing burger as far as the, the testimony goes today. Well, I mean, today you have the um, European Union ambassador, Gordon Sondland, who's kind of been all over this map. He apparently gave he apparently gave closed door testimony uh, that said one thing. And then when he saw what he said, he decided that he had to correct it because he, I think, was afraid that he was going to get indicted for perjury. So he corrected it quote-unquote corrected it so now he appears in front of this hearing and he's altered it yet again but i mean the, the bottom line and this is going to be the sound bite is he says well well yes there there was a quid pro quo he says i know that members of this committee have frequently framed these complicated issues in the form of a simple question was there a quid pro quo as i testified previously with regard to the white house call and the white house meeting the answer is is yes you know, and, and he says, yeah, this, 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 this is it. I mean, the president, as a condition of arranging a visit for the new Ukrainian president, he said, yeah, I mean, he, he, he wanted, you know, he, he wanted to have this investigation that was done of, you know, Biden and his kid. That he, you know, he wanted that as a condition of that. So yes, there was to be a quid pro quo. Now, as it all panned out, of course, there wasn't an investigation and there, you know, wasn't, and ultimately the aid went to the Ukraine. So that's where we kind of stand. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Ken Starr, who was, of course, one of the uh, prosecutors during the 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 whole Whitewater and the Clinton thing, he's quoted today as saying, this is one of these bombshell days that now you have the European Union ambassador saying, yeah, there, there was clearly a quid pro quo. Is this going to make any difference? Or have people just decided we're locked in on it? We understand what happened. We don't think this is something that the president should be removed for. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this really a bombshell? Have you now caught impeachment fever? Do you think you're going to have a, a massive push where people who weren't on board are now suddenly going to be on board and they're going to be calling up people like Ron Johnson saying, I've changed my mind. You've got to remove him. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, and I understand this position infuriates some of you, I I just don't see this happening. If you accept the premise that impeachment is, again, a political issue, I think people are, are dug in on this. And I think that a huge number of Americans, even if you accept the fact that, you know, President Trump was on this call, they don't believe that this is an impeachable sort of offense and that, you know, quote unquote, quid pro quos go on all the time the idea that gee if mexico wants aid from the government we want them to crack down on you know drug cartels 
okay, because that's the position that we have taken. You know, foreign aid has always been accompanied by the quote-unquote quid pro quo. You know, if you want our money, we want you to do this or that or the other, which in, in most sort of situations, you know, is designed to benefit I don't know, the, the administration, the party in power. Hey, this is some, an end that we want to accomplish. Now, in this case, you know, President Trump carries it to a different level because he wants opponents to be investigated. All right. I think he should have avoided this. I, I think it was an unseemly thing. I agree with Nikki Haley. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's good policy, and I don't think it's appropriate for presidents to be I don't know, asking foreign governments to investigate U.S. citizens. Having said all that, I have serious questions whether it rises to the level of an impeachable offense. And if you look at these poll numbers, the majority of Americans, at least the majority of Wisconsinites, appear to be with me. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Is this going to change anybody's mind? No, no. And I just want to say, I want to correct you on something. Um, if you watch the hearings later today, Sunland admitted that Trump asked him and told him on a phone call, I want nothing from him. Just do the right thing. So I don't think there was a quid pro quo. And I think Wisconsin voters, I give them a lot of kudos for having common sense that they're coming around that as they start seeing this. Excuse me, how I say this. No, no, well, be careful, what, be careful what you say there. <laughs> the, the Adam Schiff show. The Adam, um, okay, Schiff show. Got it. Okay, yeah, good enough. Um, it's just a joke. Got it. I, I understood. I don't know if you've ever watched Greg Gutfeld. They have a guy by the name of Tom Chalou. You'd swear it was um, Chip's twin. Well, so. you know, I mean, thank, I see, I, I, it's, it's to me what I think is going on, and I, I think that there is a degree of what I will call impeachment slash investigation fatigue. I mean, President Trump, and I look, I understand that he is a lightning rod. And as I always say this, I think I understand that and I understand why people believe this. There are some people that believe he's just absolutely the Antichrist and they can't do anything right at all. And he's venal and corrupt. And there's other people who just think he can't do anything wrong, you know. Um, and so and people are just equally divided about that. So I get I get that whole sort of thing. And if you think he's venal and corrupt, well, then you, you think he's, he's got to be removed. And if you're on the other side, you think, well, okay, he's the guy that's shaking this up, and this is just his style, and it's not fair to judge him the way maybe you would have judged other people. It, it's just the guy's style. This is the way he talks. This is the way he acts. And where it's been going on is I think it's undoubtedly true that there's a lot of people who – after President Trump got elected, we're shocked that he got elected and, you know, have been out to try to undermine the administration from the jump. I mean, from the beginning. So you had the, the two plus years of the Mueller investigation that ultimately went nowhere. And now, OK, this is the latest thing. You know, squirrel. Now we're going to latch on to to this. And I think that there is a degree of impeachment fatigue that's out there, just like. I think when you had people who suffered from the Walker derangement syndrome after Act 10 and launched into the recall, there were a lot of people who maybe weren't sold on Act 10, but didn't believe that you overturn the result of an election, you know, 
by by recalling him because you, you disagree with somebody about policy or something like that. So given the fact that and you can it's interesting to me to see how the Democrats are framing this. Uh, you know, now you have Nancy Pelosi talking about bribery because people don't understand quid pro quo or anything like that. Oh, this was a bribe. Well, I, I in my opinion, with all due respect, that's a load of horse hockey. This isn't the classic sort of bribery type of thing. Now, I understand why they use the language, because the Democrats were out and they were polling on this and they were trying to find, OK, if we're trying to move the needle and if we recognize the fact that, you know, we need to bring a majority of Americans with us if we go down this impeachment route, you know, we, we need to have an overwhelming majority. Well, OK, we, we've got to f- use terms that people might get upset about, so we're not going to say quick pro quo we're going to say bribery you know he was trying to you know get something out of this well okay you can use that term but like i say maybe you could use that term for every president in dealing with foreign affairs who as a condition of getting them to do something that they wanted them to do that would have a political benefit and i understand this is perhaps you know more extreme than that but at the end of the day foreign policy hey do something that I want to do to help advance a political agenda. And, yes, we'll give you U.S. aid or, or whatever. Bottom line of all this, and I, I've said this before and I say it again, I don't think the public is there on impeachment. You can't impeach a president when you've got 38 or 48 or 49 or 50 percent of of the voters who, who think, yeah, he should be impeached and removed. If you are going to take that type of step, you need an overwhelming consensus of the American people to take this extreme step to remove somebody. And I just don't think the American people are there. I don't think the American people are going to be there. As I say repeatedly, the ultimate verdict on Donald Trump is going to come Well, now in a little bit less than a year, what, 51 weeks from yesterday, when the American people go to the polls and they vote. And I think it's too soon to predict how they are going to vote. But it is interesting. And if I was one of the Democrat representatives from the state of Wisconsin in Congress or Tammy Baldwin, although you know what Tammy Baldwin's going to do, and you believe polls, I'd be looking at this Marquette University Law School poll and I'd be saying, if you believe this poll, um, the number of people supporting impeachment and removal is going down, and President Trump appears to be gaining, gaining support in head-to-head matchups with all the potential Democratic opponents. And, you know, you've got to wonder what that is. And again, if you believe the numbers are correct, and that is, I concede, a big if, if you believe the numbers are correct and you look at that, what it tells you is that maybe this impeachment process it's turning off more people than it's turning on, which is bad news for the people that ultimately want to remove President Trump. Interesting. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, we have a date, a week, two weeks from tomorrow. You and me, we have a date. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Where are we going? We're going to the Italian Community Center. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, see (laughs) how quickly they forget. I knew that. Well, you made it sound like it was just you and me. No, it's it's you and me and a number of our colleagues and (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of 
WTMJ fans and listeners because it is our annual holiday radio show. And it's a little different this year, and I'm really excited about it because it's like game shows and kind I, of improv. I, and... I, I have no idea what it is oh. other than the, I, I have, they've not shared that with me other than I have one specific assignment. Gru, producing the show today and always, are you going? Are you, are you showing up? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. I'll be you there. think so? Okay. Well, here is the deal. As Melissa was saying, it's a little bit different this year in the past. First of all, a different location. We listened. This year, it is going to be at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. The previous years, it's been at Turner Hall. And, and one of the re- we love Turner Hall, love the folks at Turner Hall. But um, one of the things that we heard from is, is the whole issue of parking. Because when you came to one of our first four shows, you kind of had to wrestle with downtown parking right in the, by the Pfizer Forum. And, and typically, you'd struggle to find a lot. And if you found a lot, you'd have to pay you know, 20, 30 bucks or whatever for this. Well, you know, we listen to you. So this year at the Italian Community Center, they have an enormous parking lot right across the street from, you know, it's, it's part of the ground. So it is free parking. So if you're like, well, I don't want to have to come down there and then have to worry about paying 20 or 30 bucks to park, don't have to worry about it. Free parking and then real ease of access. I know some people to get up to Turner Hall, I'm just being honest, the, the top floor, you had to walk up these kind of stairs. It was like a long winding staircase. And I understand that, you know, some people were like, well, it's a little bit of tr- effort. Okay. That does not happen at the Italian Community Center. So the event is going to be two weeks from tomorrow. It's going to be Thursday, December 5th. We are ringing in the holiday season with game shows and skits. And we, and that's not just Melissa and I, that's all of our staff, we want you to be there. Now, here's the deal. We do not sell tickets at the door. And once these tickets are gone, they're gone. Get your tickets now for this exclusive event. But the what the way you get them is you go to our website. It's WTMJ.com. You kind of scroll down to the middle. You'll see something that says 2019 Holiday Radio Show. The tickets are 25 bucks a piece. And all ticket sales help support Capco and our radio kids to kids toy drive. It's the WTMJ holiday radio show. It's presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta Restaurants, and VMP Healthcare and Community Living in West Dallas. Two weeks from tomorrow, be there. It's always a lot of fun. And I'm going to be finding out a little bit about the program. In years past, we've, we've done original radio plays. We've done adaptations of It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol. This year, it's going to be you know, game shows and skits and things like that. And I'm kind of curious. I have one assignment that I know I'm responsible for, and I'm working very, very diligently on that to the point that I even brought in a couple of people that I know who are just genuinely funny, brought them into, and I mean funny, haha, not not funny, odd, but generally funny. I brought them in to, to help me with my particular assignment in this regard. So hope to see you get the tickets, WTMJ.com. All right. Charles Barkley. Everybody knows who Charles Barkley is. Charles Barkley is the former all-star forward, NBA forward, who now makes a living. He's on the, um, he's on what, like TNT. He's a, a commentator. He does all sorts of ads. Barkley is sort of out, forget sort of. Barkley is incredibly outspoken. You know, he, he lets you know where he stands. He says outrageous types of things. That's part of his shtick. All right, so here's the deal. Last night, he is talking to a female reporter from Axios, which is a it's a it's a Internet based like news site. 
It is. And so the reporter, and she's a female, talking to her. Her name is Alexi McCammond. They are having an off-the-record conversation. Off-the-record meaning, okay, I'm not going to attribute the things that you that, that you say. It is off-the-record, all right? It's kind of like it's on background or whatever. Well, anyhow, she she goes up to Barkley, and Barkley has never shied away from taking political positions. So they're having this conversation, and she goes up, and she asks Barkley about, you know, things that he had said. He apparently had come out and, and said originally that he supported former two-term Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick for president. And she goes up to him, and, and it's an off-the-record conversation, and she says, she asked him, how can you support him? She said, Barkley reversed his stance um, and said, as he was approached by a member of Pete Buttigieg's campaign, that he was in favor of Mayor Pete. Okay, so she then says, well, okay, how, you know, where is this? What's the flip-flop? What's the reason for the flip-flop? And what Barkley supposedly says to her is he says, Okay, after she confronts him about the flip-flop in this off-the-record conversation, she says, for your information, this, she sends out a tweet, Charles Barkley told me tonight, I don't hit women, but if I did, I would hit you. Okay, I don't hit women, but if I did, I would hit you. So she's kind of like, hey, you know, how you, you switched around, you know, how can you justify that? And it's kind of his way, I presume, to say, you know, go away. I don't hit women, but I would hit you. Uh, but if I did, I would hit you. She said, oh, what did, what did, she then objected. And he says, oh, come on, can't you take a joke? At which point in time, she then tweets out this off-the-record conversation. She says, there are almost no times I will break an off-the-record agreement, but this is not okay. Um, I hate, this is her tweet, I hate being part of the story, so here's a reminder that this is so much bigger than me. Nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the U.S. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. Charles Barkley told me tonight, I don't hit women, but if I did, I would hit you. And then when I objected to that, he told me I couldn't take a joke. She says that he needs to be held accountable for remarks that help perpetuate violence against women. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we, as part of the cancel culture, should Charles Barkley be be canceled? Should he be removed from TNT? Should he be drummed out of the business for this remark that he made? And that's apparently the context of of the remark. It's like she's confronting him because he's kind of flip-flopped on which candidate he supports. And in the -the off-the-record conversation, he says, look, I, I don't hit women, but if I did, I'd hit you. Okay. Is that, he says, I was clearly joking she does not take it that way. Do we cancel Charles Barkley, or is this just Barkley being Barkley? And even in today's environment, there's no way that a reasonable person could take that as I don't know, uh, and I don't know, a, a support for you know men beating women. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Should we cancel Charles Barkley? 
My answer is going to be no, but I'm curious as to what you think, and I will explain why I take the position I do in just a moment. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we do with Charles Barkley? What does TNT do with Charles Barkley? Um, Is this really a statement that's in support of beating women, or is there another way to interpret it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now again, you've got Charles Barkley, who is apparently trying to be funny. He's outspoken. This is his persona. He gets confronted by an, a, a female sports, actually a reporter, um, who's asking him political questions. Hey, you flip flopped on this, and he allegedly says, "I don't hit women, but if I did, I you know I, I'd hit you." Okay, and she then breaks the off the record type of stuff and says he thinks he says he was joking and I can't take a joke. I'm offended by this four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. If I were Barkley, and I understand, you know, Barkley makes a living being out there. I I think I, I think there's some stuff that you just don't kid around about anymore. And if you assume that you can trust reporters and off the record stays off the record, well, you you, you better learn otherwise. That being said. Well, I wouldn't say it myself. Um, I, do I do I think that he should be pulled off of TV for what is obviously a flippant remark, but doesn't really show intent? My answer would be no. If he took a swing at her, that's a different story. Let's start with Terry and Franklin. Terry, you're first. Oh, hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for Terry. taking my call. Sure. I agree with you completely. I think it's ridiculous to even consider pulling him off of, of his show because of this off-the-record comment. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but are you? I mean, you're, you're the. You, give me a female perspective here. You know, obviously, violence against women is, is a big deal. It's not something that that you joke about. Is is that what you really? Is that what it really sounds like he was doing, though? Absolutely, he said. It's Charles Barkley. We have to remember that. Mm-hmm. I can I can appreciate her being offended by that, but be honest it was off the record right and she chose to make that change right right yeah thanks for perspective i guess see that that's if if i were barclay's agent if i were the people at tnt i would probably say charles you have to understand times have changed and violence against women has never been it's never been something that's funny um and and you, I understand that you probably had no malicious intent, that you were kidding around about this. There's just some things today in today's day and age that you, you don't kid around with. And I agree with Terry. You, you should say, all right, look, I'm, I'm sorry that I was trying to be funny. Maybe it was a poor attempt at a joke. If you took it that I was really endorsing violence against women, I'm sorry for that. And then you learn from it and then you, you kind of move on. And I think that kind of, at least in my mind, that puts an end to it. Um, and, and maybe it's a learning experience. Anne in Milwaukee. Anne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, yes. Um, so, yeah, the the Charles Barkley thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite disagree with the woman for breaking her silence because um, I totally agree. Violence is something you shouldn't joke about, whether right. it's violence against women or violence against a partner, mm-hmm. violence is violence. You you shouldn't make a joke about it. And it, I personally think that Barkley could have handled it better by saying something like, 
I changed my mind because that's what, you know, hum, being human is all about. You're allowed to change your mind. Right. So what, so what, what, ha- if he did in fact say this, do you think that the TV network should, should fire him? Should he lose his job for saying something like this? No. no. I don't think someone should lose their job just because they make a stupid comment because yeah. that's another thing. People are human. We're going to make stupid comments. <laughs> yeah. Well, just follow me around with a microphone all the time, Ann, and you'll probably hear more than my share of stupid comments coming out of my mouth. So I, I, I understand. No, thanks for the call. Yeah, see, and I guess I, I, I mean, look, what was it flippant? Are there things in today's day and age that you just you don't kid around about anymore? And, and the answer is yes. I'm sure. I mean, I I can picture, you know, I can just picture Charles Barkley doing this. And, you know, I, and I, I think he thinks he's being funny. This is his way of saying, hey, get lost, lady. You know, don't don't be asking me these types of things. And I, I you know, it, I, I would be shocked if this woman seriously thought that, that Charles Barkley was like threatening to hit her, et cetera, et cetera. He was being flip. You can criticize him, at least in my opinion. I'm no real. I'm not a Charles Barkley fan. Don't get me wrong. You can criticize him for being flip. You can say, okay, you know, we, we live in these world. There's nothing funny about domestic violence, and to the extent that somebody could interpret your remarks as as endorsing striking women, you should really thought about it. Okay, to me, what you say is, gee, if I saw this, I'm sorry she interpreted. it. I'm sorry she interpreted it in this fashion. I did not mean to threaten her. Uh, I was being funny. I'm sorry she took it that way. And then we move on. That's how I think you handle this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Dave. You're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. So a little bit different scenario. Let me set the stage. I was out with some coworkers, and I wasn't part of the group, but three people at a bar, and it was an after-work event, not necessarily a work-sanctioned event, but there was a female present, and the female went to the restroom, and the three guys proceeded to make a list or essentially a ranking of how attractive the women were in the office. So <laughs> okay. you can yeah. see where that's going through. It uh, absolutely. Yeah, call, call human resources, sure. <laughs> and that's exactly where it went. So she overheard the conversation, called human resources, and HR says, we have a zero-tolerance policy, and all three of those gentlemen lost their jobs. So a little bit different scenario, but, you know, are we going too far as a society where you say something in jest and you lose your job over it? Kind of crazy to me. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We I've got a texter who writes, why didn't she just say, Charles, you're a buffoon. You just don't talk that way. Say it loud. Say it proud. Walk away. You know, it's just, as opposed to, okay, now I'm going to break this thing. We agreed that it was going to be an off-the-record remark, which means I don't attribute any sort of remarks. But now I'm going to decide that I am going to attribute remarks because I don't like what you said. Now, I, now thanks for call. Right, and, and but again, and I and I don't want people to hear the segment and think that I, I'm. They're, they're, look, the reality is things have changed in this world, and you can argue whether they've changed for the better or for worse. But there's some things that you you don't joke about. You don't. You know, go and wait, you know, at the airport, waiting to get on a plane and going through a metal detector. You don't joke about having a bomb in your bag, in your carry-on bag. You just don't. We don't have senses of humor about that stuff anymore. There's just, you know, certain things that, and again, and I think violence towards women would be one of them. If I, for one minute, thought that Charles Barkley was serious about threatening this woman with violence or things like that, I would have a completely different take on this. To me, like I say, he's being flip. 
he's being flipped with somebody who's confronting him on, on something. And so this is his way of dismissing the reporter. And, and I, should he have chosen different language? I think absolutely so. He, he should have. But at the same time, do you, does he lose his gig for it? And that's I think that's an overreaction. Josh in Waukesha. Josh on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Sure. What do you um, think? I guess I fully agree that most people these days are way too quick to be offended. Um, that being said, if I walked into my office right now and said what he said, I'm pretty sure my longevity with our company would be in question. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Of course, you know, you're. <clears throat> You're talking about like a workplace setting. I don't necessarily get that this was, but but yeah, there, there. Right. I mean, I, I would certainly not advise anybody <laughs> to to make jokes like this in the workplace towards some of their you know female uh, coworkers. It, it, you're right. It's not going to work out well. So. Yeah, and I agree. He he has no intention of actually doing anything harmful, but. You just can't say that. Right. You, right. Thank, thanks. And I, I think we would all agree. It strikes me as a dumb, flip thing to say from a guy who has kind of made a career by, by being a knucklehead. And uh, sooner or later, that's going to catch up with you. I'm just saying I don't think that this is the, you know, the situation. Um, uh, here's a text, Jeff. In her statement, I think what's lacking is the element of intimacy. They have no intimacy, so I think it's a stretch saying in any way that he's mocking domestic violence, as her um, text suggests. It's just he has a shock factor every time he opens his mouth. Um, Charles Barkley being Charles Barkley. And, and, you know, he's got to learn that this... I don't know if you could if people would think this was funny in nineteen you know eighty nine, but they certainly don't think it's funny in twenty nineteen. Should he lose his gig? My answer would be no. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Feel free to disagree, but I, noble intentions, just because you mean well, to me doesn't mean that you you get to ignore the rules. I mean, the, the road to you-know-where is paved with good intentions, which leads us into the next story that I want to discuss. There is a church in Orland Park, Illinois. Orland Park is a suburb. It's about 25 miles southwest of Chicago. So it's kind of sort of in the Tinley Park area, if you know where, where, where that is. So it's Orland Park. It's a village. 58,000 people live in the village. They are in the middle of what is becoming a national controversy because what happens is about a month and a half ago, there's this this pastor at a church. Pastor is at the Hope Covenant Church. And what what he he says is, look, we want to we think that there is a huge problem with homelessness in our community. And what we want to do is we want to open up our doors to serve as a homeless shelter so you know we can we can take people in the village of orland park long story short says no i'll explain to you why they say no in a couple minutes and the church has just ignored them and has started just doing this and you know they've been taking people in and um, when it got cold a week ago they took a lot of people in and allowed them to essentially stay at the church. The church is now looking, the church is saying, look, we, you know, the village, the village is telling us no, but we don't think we should have to follow them, and we think the village is being evil. And I'm kind of paraphrasing this. And they're going public with their story. Now, here's what 
here's what the the village says. And by the way, the other night uh, when it got cold last week, apparently the the church took in like 50 people, homeless people, took them in and and gave them shelter overnight. What they do is I guess they take them down into the basement and they put mattresses out so people stay on the mattresses. The village says, wait a minute, said first, the, the church is not zoned as an overnight facility. I mean, it, it's zoned as a church. So, you know, right now the zoning says you, you can't do this. I mean, there's all these zoning rules that are out there. You know, if you've got an area that's zoned residential, you can't, you know, do it. You can't suddenly start, you know, running a commercial business out of that. So they say first, first problem is it's not zoned as an overnight facility. But then they say, well, the, the problem is more, it's broader, it's more extensive than that. And what they do is they say, look, you know, we've we've done these inspections and, you know, we, we find that this building is intended for religious services. And that's not the same as saying that it should be used essentially as a homeless shelter. They say um, what we did is, first of all, it's not an approved use for where the, the church is located. And then they said, OK, we've done this inspection. And, you know, we found numerous violations in connection with all these applicable building codes that are fine to use as a church. But if you're going to use it as a shelter, it's completely different. They said, for example, um, the basement where the church, you know, puts the mattresses down has insufficient fire and carbon monoxide protections. There's a lack of code compliant exits. There's deficient um accessibility standards they say you know the basement isn't suited for operating as as a homeless shelter it's not set up for a place where you have 40 or 50 people sleeping they also said that they're operating this or they want to operate this as a as a food kitchen and they said you know it doesn't have a commercial kitchen has not been inspected we have issues with food handling protocols meals being provided with users for facilities bottom line is they say the building itself you know, isn't isn't up to code, doesn't have the facilities to meet the rules. So even if we change the zoning, you, you can't do this or you shouldn't be allowed to do this until you fix all these these other things. Now, the church, again, is going public, saying that the village is just being heartless. The village is being cruel, that all this is about is people who don't want homeless people coming in and staying overnight at the church and all these things about saying, hey, there's rules that you have to follow. It's all just a pretense. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe this is just the recovering lawyer in me, but I'm trying to picture a scenario where the village just looks the other way allows the church to bring 45 homeless people in and stay overnight in the basement. A fire breaks out. The exits aren't sufficient. Everybody knows this, and 40 people die as a result of the fire. All right, now you might say, Jeff, that that's kind of far-fetched. All right, well, is it? And how would we react? I guess if the facility doesn't meet the standards for, in this case, a homeless shelter, simply because the pastor is well-intentioned, does that mean we look the other way? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be no. 
I mean, my to me, the response, the appropriate response would be, okay, we want to open our doors for this. But but here's the thing we need to do. We need to raise money. We want people in the community to come and donate this money because we, we want to satisfy all these different code sort of things. We want to put in the detectors that we need. We want to set this up. We want to have the commercial kitchen. We want to do it right. Give us money to help do that then we'll go to the board and we'll ask them to change the zoning but until you have a situation and a facility that that meets code that for what you're trying to do are is the village being evil in saying wait wait a minute you, you can't do this because the reason we have rules is to, to make sure I don't know that there's appropriate exits if you've got 50 people that are sleeping in a basement and then you've got appropriate carbon monoxide, you know, warnings and that, you know, you're satisfying the protocol. If you're feeding all these people on a daily basis, you're satisfying the protocols for what you need for a kitchen so people don't get sick. Does that does that make the village a villain? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is is no. I, I appreciate the pastor is perhaps well intended to do this. But if you're going to do something like this, I think you have to follow various rules. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise bad things can happen. These rules have a place. Here's a text, Jeff. If they did have a fire and people died, the church would deny any responsibility and point fingers at the village saying they should have told us it wasn't safe to do this. The village is correct and they need to stand their ground. It's admirable that the church wants to help the homeless, but they need to do it legally and safely. All right, let's talk to Steve in Two Rivers. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Back uh, about 20 years ago, when I was going through fire school for the fire department, we had an instructor talking about the fire codes and everything. And part of, part of his point, he said, was Christmas Eve, go into your church. You have candles everywhere. You have tree branches and decorations everywhere, chairs in the aisles, overcrowding in the church. And his point was, which one of your heroes wants to walk in there and shut that down? Yeah. He said, some, some days... You cross your fingers and hope nothing happens. Yep, 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 yep. And and I think, I guess I look at this and say, if this was a one-off, if this was a, all right, it's sub-zero, we had to bring in, we have to bring in people who are freezing to give them, you know, a, a temporary thing for one night. I think that's different. That's not what right. they're trying to do. They're trying to say, we want to do this on a permanent basis. We just don't want to, we don't think it's fair for you to ask us to follow the rules. Oh, and I, I, I agree. They, they have they have to bring stuff up. But on the same side, at least you have a group trying to work on something in the homeless situation. You know, try and work with them. How can you work to help bring this up to code, you know, type thing? At least somebody's trying to do something. You right. know, we got to work work it up a little more and figure out a way to bring it up to code and right. well, get it and, up to goal. Right. Now, thank, and, see, and, and that's why, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm not criticizing the church. I, I understand their, their cause is noble. I, I get it. But at the same time, these, I guess, I mean, the rules make sense to me. I mean, if you're going to, it's one thing if it's a private basement. It's another thing if you're going to have like 50 people that are sleeping in a basement, I, I you know, on a regular basis, or 30 people, or 20 people, or whatever. Remember that story a couple months ago about the the boat that caught fire, and you had all these people who died because they were tra- they were sleeping, you know. Un- 
in the, they were sleeping underneath in the interior of the boat and there was like only one exit and they got trapped and they all died. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to picture something like that. And, you know, hopefully this stuff doesn't happen, but that's why you have things like fire codes and these detectors and, and access and things like that. It's why we have rules. The rule for running a hotel is different than the rule for, you know, your own personal apartment or your own home. But it, and unless you want to argue that, no, you know, we don't care whether or not because it's a church that's set up as a place of worship, it's not set up as a homeless shelter, unless you want to argue that, well, these rules don't make any sense, and I don't think anybody's doing that, seems to me that you have to say, okay, we want to work with you to try to comply, and that's going to mean, I don't know, probably some physical changes to the structure, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a couple of people are saying, well, what if they make the changes and you still can't go ahead and get it zoned? Well, my my thing would be, Maybe you do that other thing first. We want it zoned. We understand. Will you change the zoning? We understand that, you know, and then we will, as a condition of that, then we'll make these these upgrades. And I, I think that that's a fair sort of thing to work out. But just because you have good intentions doesn't necessarily mean you get to do whatever you want. And sometimes I think people lose sight of that particular fact, because going back to where I started this conversation, the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. And just imagine the situation where a fire breaks out because somebody is smoking in the basement, mattress catches on fire, boom, not enough access, people die. Okay, what, what do we say then? This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Chick-fil-A capitulates in the culture wars. My, my, my lead to this is, if you're walking in and out of a store over the holiday season, the Christmas season, and you see somebody like ringing the bell for the Salvation Army, throw a couple extra bucks into the red kettle because... Well, they're going to need to make up money that they're not getting from Chick-fil-A. Maybe you're familiar with the background, but this, I'm I'm just, Chick-fil-A is a business. They get to decide where they want to donate. But you know what? By capitulating to the culture warriors on the left, I got to tell you, the folks at Chick-fil-A have lost a little bit of respect for me, even understanding that people get to decide how they're going to give. Now, the background on this is that the, the CEO of, of Chick-fil-A, a guy named Dan Cathy, a committed evangelical Christian, got the got a lot of the, the organized left upset when he came out publicly and said that he supported the traditional view of marriage, which is taught still in many churches, that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. This has nothing to do with the Supreme Court saying that the same-sex marriage is legal. But there's still a lot of people whose religion teaches them that, again, marriage is between a man and a woman. And there's one thing, you know, you, you can... Understand the law says one thing, but that doesn't mean that your religion can't teach that regardless of what the law is, that this is not right. Okay, that that's just the reality. So he but so the CEO got in a lot of trouble with that. And there has been a political campaign that's been launched against Chick-fil-A for years saying, oh, they discriminate against like the LGBT causes. Now, of course, the, the truth of the matter is that Chick-fil-A. They'll hire anybody. They don't discriminate against people based on sexual orientation. They don't refuse to serve people based on sexual orientation. It's just that the, the CEO and, and members of ownership contribute money to causes 
that, okay, take a contrary position. Now, does that mean they're, they're anti, you know, LGBT? I, I don't think so. It just means that they, they've got, you know, their own view of the situation. But okay, so after this first broke out, now you've seen you've got airports that are refusing to allow Chick-fil-A to come in because you've got some of the screaming lefties that are out there saying, oh, this is terrible. You have, um, you know, some colleges that get pressure when, you know, Chick-fil-A wants to come in. And I understand on, on the one hand, you know, Chick-fil-A, their, their business is to sell chicken sandwiches. You know, they're, they're not there to try to them, set themselves up as arbiters of what is right in American society. So the easy way out of this is simply to do what they apparently did yesterday, which said that, okay, they are, they are no longer going to be making political, contra- making donations to certain charities that are on the hit list of the left. What are some of these charities? Well, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, who, again, I mean, their organization holds the view that that marriage is between a man and a woman. And wait for it, the Salvation Army. Okay, the Salvation Army. So, you know, Chick-fil-A has now decided, all right, we're not going to contribute to the Salvation Army anymore because... Well, I don't know. We're just tired of getting flack from the left. And Chick-fil-A obviously hopes that by giving in to the the cultural warriors, you know, they're going to make this issue go away and everything's going to be fine. I think I think Chick-fil-A, the people that the the CEO, etc., I think they're. Silly at best, idiotic at worst, for thinking that if they cave into the pressures of political correctness by eliminating these donations to the Salvation Army, that that's going to make make this issue go away, and that's suddenly going to make all sorts of people on the left love them. I mean, the bottom line is, last time I looked, this is America, and people should, it seems to me, have the right to express themselves and to donate to the charities of their choice. Now, I understand, you know, some people might not like the Salvation Army because of its position on that issue or whatever, but unquestionably, it does incredibly good things, as does the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's not like, I don't know, Chick-fil-A is donating to some terrorist hit group. That's not what this is. These are mainstream, religious-based charities. And I get that some people might not like them and might not like some of the attitudes they take. But have we really gotten to this point now where if you decide, hey, I want to drop some money into the kettle, you're going to have some of the culture warriors waiting there, taking your picture and then like um, publicizing the fact that, oh, did you see Jeff Wagner? He's walking out of that Target store. He put $10 in the Salvation Army kettle. That means that he must hate gay people. I mean, that's essentially what this has come down to. Chick-fil-A is trying to make this whole issue go away by caving in. I don't think it's going to work. Now, am I going to stop eating a Chick-fil-A? No, because I'm disappointed that they caved in. 
I guess I think they did it more because of a business reason than um, because, again, of a personal reason. So they decided just kind of cave in. We want this issue to go away. It's easier to make it go away. I appreciate that from a business perspective. I am disappointed, though, that, you know, you have these corporations and you have these individuals that are just going to cave in because it is the course of least resistance. As for me, Salvation Army is going to be getting extra 10 or 20 bucks in the pot sometime. And if that makes me an evil person, I'll live with it. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, group producing the show today and always, I had a very interesting experience last night. Now, here's kind of the background on this. In Menominee Falls, the mascot for the Menominee Falls school system, and I think people know that it's the Indians. It's been the Indians forever. The uber politically correct new superintendent in Menominee Falls has made it his mission to get rid of that that nickname. Matter of fact, you know, he didn't want people to find out about this, but he apparently sent out an email saying that the, the mascot the mascot was going to be gone and if the mascot wasn't going to be gone, he in fact would be gone. He didn't never thought that that was going to become public. The email became public, and then probably after having his conversation with his wife when he came home, and she probably said, "Are you out of your mind? You know, this, this, where, where are you going to get another job that pays you as much money as this?" To which the school superintendent, "I didn't really mean that." Well, of course he meant it. Maybe not the idea of quitting because he's not going to walk away from the job. But yes, he his mission is to get rid of that nickname because he finds it offensive the school board president is the same way and i believe that what happened is they cooked up this scheme regardless of what people in menominee falls think that they're going to get rid of it so they've been doing this dog and pony show with these hearings for the last couple uh, over the last couple weeks where they they hand pick people to bring in for example let's bring in a, a, a native american and, and we're going to ask their opinion, despite the fact that polls show that about 90% of Native Americans don't find, for example, the nickname Indians to be offensive. They don't care about that. Let's find people who do. So let's try to stack the deck. Now, a number of people are saying, hey, school board, let's have a referendum on this. We've got elections coming up. You know, we're going to have to do an election in February. We're going to have to do an election in April. Let's, let's put a referendum question on the ballot. Let's find out where pub- the public feels. Let's ask the current high school kids. They don't want to do any of that because I believe this is a done deal. And I'm getting a lot of input from people. People in Miami Falls saying, well, what? we're just starting to realize that this thing is getting, you know, getting rammed through. And, and, and we, we really think the school board... And the school superintendent, they really don't care about us. And, and, and my, you know, what, what can we do? And, and my, can we hire lawyers and sue? And I said, I don't, I don't, my response is, I don't think so. I think, yeah, you're, you're right. You're about to get rogered by your school board, but there's not a lot of stuff that you can end up doing other than vote them out, you know, next time you get a chance. But, I mean, this is clearly this orchestrated plot by the school superintendent and at least some members of the school board. So that's kind of the backdrop on this. And, and again, it's been this sort of dog and pony show. And the school board doesn't care what you think in Menominee Falls. And the superintendent certainly doesn't care what you think. So anyhow, against that backdrop, where am I last night? I'm in Menominee Falls. The um, I, I'm in Menominee Falls. We were I was we were going out to dinner with some friends of ours, and it was just kind of a, a a middle meeting place for everybody. It was kind of convenient. So I was in Menominee Falls, and I was at this 
I was at this bar slash restaurant on, on Main Street. And by the way, despite, you know, the best efforts of your, you know, wacky school superintendent and the school board, Menominee Falls, wonderful, wonderful community. And they're really, do, you're doing a great job out there, I think, of trying to renovate Main Street. But I'm, I'm in this bar restaurant on Main Street. And matter of fact, a couple of the servers and stuff I walked in that they people recognized me. So it's very, very nice. Lots of listeners out there in the falls. Wish I could do more to help you with your school superintendent and the um, wacky school board. And all my only advice is just remember when they're up for election next. And if they don't do what you want, that's the great thing about this country. You can vote the bums out. But anyhow, I, I'm in this restaurant in Menominee Falls where apparently the school board thinks there's this huge controversy and we have to get involved. And the um, school superintendent thinks he's got his finger on the pulse of the people i'm looking around this particular restaurant and they've got all these decorations and they've got these signs and stuff in one corner there's a wooden indian i swear to god there's a statue of an indian in one corner and then they've got all these different i don't know there's a jersey like a menominee falls indians hockey jersey that's framed there's like indian paraphernalia all over and, and I didn't hear a single person in this particular restaurant that was complaining about this. So, again, it's one of these things I'm thinking, huh, For maybe these people on the school board or maybe the superintendent who clearly does not understand what, you know, what's going on in the community, at least the heartbeat of the majority of the community, people who are afraid to have a referendum, that you know, maybe some of these people should kind of walk around and actually go into the community and do what I was doing and like actually sit in a bar and have a beer and order a sandwich and leave a nice tip and ask what the average person thinks, not... Here, we're going to just try to, you know, flim-flam people. We're going to have these hearings where we invite the public, but we only really want to steer it to hear the input that we want to hear. I will just tell you, I came convinced, walked away from Menominee Falls thinking, you know, more than ever, as the school board goes down this route, the school superintendent goes down this route of changing the mascot. They just, maybe they think they know better. Maybe they don't care what you as a resident thinks. But I just, I think they're just way out of touch. They think that's leadership. I think it's just being irresponsible. And, you know, they're going to make the decision in the next couple of weeks. This decision is a done deal. I mean, the, the only appropriate thing to do would be to have a referendum and to allow people to decide they're afraid to do that because I think they know what the results would be. When we come back, they're talking about a ban what do you think about this? We'll discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. I am not a cigarette smoker, so I do not have a, a dog in this particular race. There's a lot of people out there who believe that cigarettes should be made illegal, that, that tobacco is just such a, a dangerous thing that we shouldn't allow people to make choices. I am not one of them. I, I'm, I'm just not. I, do, do I think people should smoke? The answer is is no. Does it blow my mind that you walk into a restaurant in January and what you see is a bunch of people, a lot of them younger people, huddled outside the doors that enter into the bar or the restaurant, you know, smoking a, a cigarette? I, I just it, it boggles my mind that people, you know, anybody under the age of 
40 would, would start smoking, especially anybody under the age of 25. It's not like we don't know, you know, what cigarettes can, can do to you. Now, I understand there's people that have smoked for decades and decades and decades, and they haven't gotten sick, but you're, you're tempting fate. It's just, it's not a good thing for you. But even having said that, we all do things that aren't good for us sometimes. So do I think we should outlaw it? No. Which brings me to the story that I want to discuss, though. There is a move afoot. Now, they're looking at doing this in Illinois. They are looking at doing this in Massachusetts. One of the things that people are concerned about is vaping and the idea that, especially with the different flavors, that this is like a gateway drug to get people into smoking. They start with vaping, and then next thing you know, they're smoking cigarettes. I don't know if I buy that or not. The American Medical Association came out yesterday saying that they don't think anybody should vape because there's potential health hazards. I don't know about that either. But in addition to dealing with vaping and the different flavors that they have out there, in both Illinois and Massachusetts, they are considering banning the sale of menthol cigarettes. Now, this is kind of an interesting number, and I, I don't know why it is, but, but it is. They estimate that among smokers, nearly 9 out of 10 African Americans who smoke prefer mentholated cigarettes. Now, I, I guess I, I, I'm looking at these studies that, that, that suggest that. I don't know why that is. I don't, don't know why. You know, don't know why. Don't know what it is about menthol cigarettes that would make them more attractive to somebody than somebody else. Have I had a menthol cigarette in my life? Yes, I have. Um, have I had a regular cigarette? Yes, I have. Was I ever a regular smoker? Absolutely not. Do I get it? No. But uh, among African-Americans, the study suggests that the vast majority of African-Americans who smoke um, prefer to smoke menthol cigarettes. And the idea is, I think that menthol cigarettes, what they say is because of because of the taste, because, you know, the menthol in them uh, essentially um, mutes and tamps down the tobacco flavor, et cetera, et cetera. The argument is that menthol cigarettes make it easier for people to get hooked. The idea being that if you, if you didn't have the menthol in them, maybe when people have that first cigarette, they wouldn't like them as much, and as a result, they, they wouldn't have that second cigarette or the third cigarette. So there is a real push out there to identify the menthol cigarettes and say, we're going to get rid of them. We are going to outlaw menthol cigarettes because, again, it's a gateway, makes it easier for people to want to smoke, and secondly, it has a disproportionate impact on a certain group. In this case, it would be African-American smokers. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We're not talking about banning cigarettes. We are talking about banning a particular type of cigarettes. In this case, the flavored cigarettes, the menthol cigarettes. Let's tee this up. My question is, to smokers or to non-smokers, should we do this? By allowing companies to sell menthol cigarettes, do we make it too easy for people to get drawn into smoking? Do we make it too attractive by presenting this flavor in there? 
if we banned menthol cigarettes, would a substantially fewer number of people smoke? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not in favor of a ban. I will explain why in just a moment. But for those of you who are smokers in particular or non-smokers, we're not talking about an overall ban of cigarettes. We're talking about a ban of one type of cigarettes. Should we take your menthol cigarettes away? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Have a text here. Jeff, Illinois just legalized recreational marijuana, and you say they're considering banning menthol cigarettes. Is this not hypocritical? Don't know if hypocritical is the word. It It, it is ironic. <laughs> There's no question about that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Glenn in Milwaukee. Glenn, you're first. Well, my, my point is this. is the simple fact that... Uh, 1,400 people nationwide have gotten sick, they say, from these vaping cigarettes. And yet tens of thousands of people are dying or are dead because of regular cigarettes, cancerous cigarettes. So, and why is it that we're going to ban the one that's just new and hip now and not ban the one that's actually confirmed to have killed people as a whole? I, I don't understand that. I, I, I Glenn, I think so. I'm, I'm with you as well. And I, I mean, look, I don't want to discuss the, the vaping stuff, but let's, let's just focus on, on the idea of, okay, banning menthol cigarettes. Menthol cigarettes, to my knowledge, they're no more dangerous than regular cigarettes are. They're just, they're flavored. So it, it might be more appealing to new smokers. So I, I understand that. But it seems to me the fundamental question that we have to address is, are, are we going to continue to allow tobacco products to be legal or not? And as long as the answer to that is yes, as long as the answer is no, look, we, we can't have a prohibition. It didn't work with alcohol in the 20s. It's certainly not going to work with tobacco in the 2020s. As long as, you know, we're going to allow people to smoke and you're going to allow to have cigarettes, I don't think you should be telling adults, no, you can't smoke menthol cigarettes. You can discourage people from smoking. I'm all in favor of that. You can try to discourage young people from starting to smoke. I'm all in favor of that. But when you start to pick out particular products, it's kind of like, saying, well, um, we think that uh, here, here's the deal. We don't want to allow people to drink wine because, you know, if you drink wine, that makes you, you know, you might that might have an appeal. And then you start drinking wine. And next thing you know, you know, you're pounding back, you know, bourbon or something like that. No, you know, we th- to me, that's the same sort of thing. We, we don't say uh, again, you know, we're going to outlaw Mike's hard lemonade because it might lead people to drink in wild turkey bourbon. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. My, Hi, Mike. My thought, you're, you're kind of alluding to it. I, I thought that you're signaling out a segment of the population that's preferring menthol cigarettes. But put it this way, you know, I want to... What about uh, alcohol? What people like scotch? And yeah. uh, also they about banned scotch because it's bad for you. So... Right. And, and of course, or, or let's let's not let's not start by banning scotch. Let's start by banning light beer, because people don't typically start by drinking scotch. They probably start by drinking light beer. And then that leads them to to scotch or to some other hard liquor. Yeah. I mean, where do you draw the line? Either you ban it or you don't. They're all legal drugs. Um, right. Exactly. Thanks for calling. And again, don't interpret this 
this segment as an endorsement of cigarette smoking. It, it's not. But I, I, this idea that we're going to kind of chip away at the edges. Okay, so we're going to tell. And I look, I, I don't understand, you know, what it is about menthol cigarettes that make them so much more appealing to some people than others. But, I, you know. I, I can remember back in the day, I knew some people who used to smoke, you know, camel straight cigarettes and other people wanted to filter cigarettes or whatever. I never got any of that. But let's talk to Al in Caledonia. Hi, Al. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, one, I think with that vaping thing, it's a fairly new item or mm-hmm. fad. Uh, they haven't had the time to do these studies to find out what kind of health health hazards there are with it. Uh, whereas with cigarettes, they already know. My thought is, why ban menthol? Yeah, that's it. I mean, what, what, right? Why do you single out menthol as opposed to, hey, you know, you you, you want to? I mean, I, I just don't want to. I don't know. I don't know if they even sell unfiltered cigarettes anymore. But yeah. I think it might be big government trying to dictate what they want us to do and how they how we do it when we do it. Well, it, it, it unquestionably is. I mean, look, and, and I understand the motivation. The, the, the argument is really twofold. It's first of all that by allowing menthol to be put in cigarettes, you make it more attractive to first-time smokers because it's not as harsh, it's flavorful, some people might like it. That's argument number one. Argument number two is that, you know, this has a disproportionate effect on a particular community, in this case, the African-American community, and I, I don't understand. I mean, I don't I, I don't know if it's marketing. I, I don't know why it is that when they do these studies, they say nine out of ten, you know, African-American smokers prefer menthol to the regular stuff. Don't know why that is, but that's apparently what the numbers are. So the argument is this has a disproportionately bad impact among persons of color. Well, I don't think anybody should smoke, okay? I, I mean, I, I'm all about trying to discourage that, but I don't think you do it by saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to ban flavored stuff because where do you draw the line on that? All right, we're going to let you eat vanilla ice cream, but we're not going to let you eat chocolate chip ice cream because, I don't know, some people might prefer that. I mean, you confront the issue. Are we going to ban cigarettes? Are we going to ban tobacco products or not? But let's not chip around the edges. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.